good to be back with you all. <laughs> um, feels like it's been, well, we took a week off and then <laughs> the ice came, like, and then the power went off for lots of us. <laughs> and it's only been a week, but it feels like for a long time since I've <laughs> seen you all. Um, we really got hit with it. Um, let's go ahead and pray one more time and we'll get started. Thank you, Lord, for um, this morning and this passage, God. It's just been so convicting and challenging, but so good. And God, I'm so glad that you give us clarity on these issues, Lord, that you make it really clear um, how you want us to be with one another and how you want us to love. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would just cover this teaching time, Lord, that you would speak through me that if there's anything that I wrote down that shouldn't be said, that you would just not allow it to be said. <laughs> and God, that you would give us the ears to hear, Lord, what you want to speak to us right now. And that we would have a willingness to hear from you um, and a willingness to change, Lord, if there's things you want to change in us, Lord. So I just thank you for this This time. I thank you for your word, and I just pray you would speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, um, we are back in Romans. Um, and this past weeks, we've been working through Paul's instructions to the church and how to live out the gospel. Um, chapters 12 through 13, we were instructed to do this without conforming to the world but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we were instructed to love others sincerely and with humility, using our gifts that God's given us as a part of the church body. We were instructed to submit to the governing authorities and owing nothing to anyone except love. And in the end of chapter 13, Paul is telling, was telling us to wake up um, and not get comfortable in the world or conform to the deeds of darkness and to make no provision for our flesh, but to put on instead Jesus. That passage gave us this picture of casting off the things that we want to do that is not of God um, before putting on the Spirit. So it's like this, you know, I was just trying to break it down in the less spiritual terms. I think Janet did a really good job. <laughs> but I was like trying to review it, like, how do I say that? But it's, I feel like it's important of, you know, um, we can't, because we can't really live the way God would have us live without his help, you know, we, you know, without letting him just empty us of the stuff that shouldn't be there. Um, so this is such an important point to be reminded of when we approach chapter 14, I feel like, because we can't do what Paul tells us next <laughs> in our flesh, right? We need the Holy Spirit to fill us to live out chapter 14, what he's going to tell us to do there. So I'm going to start by just reading chapter 14, 1 through 6. I'll just read it all together here. It says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not regarded with contempt. Um, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. 
He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. And then next week we're going to see him say, you know, whatever we do, we do it for God, you know. And so I love that continuation. This whole, I mean, we're going to be in weeks in this continual line of thinking, which is really great. I'm excited. Um, Paul begins addressing how we are to love one another when we disagree with each other. <laughs> he continues this theme in chapter 15. I mean, he just works it all the way through. The question we will see him answer at length is, how can the church hold together when so many in it are so different from one another? It's important for this to be worked out because since the church's inception, <laughs> there has always been the danger of division within it that can happen because of differences in opinions. And what could we possibly disagree about, right? Come on, I mean, <laughs> it should be simple, it's easy, we don't have any disagreements. <laughs> um, I really liked the different translations when I looked up verse one. Um, and so I'm gonna read a couple of them to you. In verse one, the NIV puts it, without quarreling over disputable matters. The New Living Translation says, don't argue with them about what they think is right and wrong. <laughs> As I studied, I felt initially confused, you know, and it might have just been me because I get confused easily. <laughs> I feel like this whole study, I was like digging deeper. I don't get it. I'm going to dig deeper. By the end, my feet are sticking out the hole. I'm like, somebody help me. <laughs> like, pull me out. <laughs> I'm so confused. Oh, my gosh. I was like trying not to hijack my home fellowship. Like, help me out, you guys. What do you think it means? <laughs> Oh my gosh. So anyway, God is faithful. <laughs> I'm not so confused anymore. But initially, I felt confused. <laughs> um, you know, is Paul saying we are not to argue about opinions? Or, this is what I was confused about, is Paul saying we are not to argue about what is truly right and wrong? You know, I feel like there's a difference between opinions and right and wrong. Like, you know, right and wrong like essential doctrine of the Christian faith or things like sin that's really clear in the Bible. I think the answer lies in the Greek definition of our word here in verse 1 of opinion. And also the answer lies in the two examples that Paul gives in this passage. When I looked up the definition of opinions, it said, a thought or inward reasoning. Paul's two examples given here in our passage are about eating meat and what day to worship the Lord, or you know, putting some days more special than others. These issues are not essential issues when it comes to our faith. I just want to point that out because it's really important. In other words, we can disagree on these issues mentioned here and still be saved and still have unity within the church. These are not salvation issues. Um, they are what I will call non-essential issues. So that's what I'll term them as. <laughs> it's important to make this distinction because there are things in the church that we should divide over, right? I want to pause before we go further and touch more on the things that are essential, just a little bit, because we do need to make that distinction, I feel like. Um, mainly because we live in a world today, in our culture, where we hear that we should never judge anyone, um, but to accept everyone, no matter what lifestyles they may have or what choices they make, even if they are contrary to what God's word says. Of course, we should love everyone. That's not what I'm saying. But our world tells us that we should embrace also, like accept. Um, 
And so, um, even if it's contradicting the word of God, the Bible. So in our world today, there's this idea of love, you know, um, accept everything a person believes and thinks, and don't make judgments about it, be tolerant, you know? I mean, this is kind of this worldview, you know, that I, you know, we all encounter, I feel like, to some varying degree. I do not believe this is what Paul meant when he said we should accept, you know, because God tells us not to conform to the world, so he's not gonna contradict himself here. Um, He does distinguish what is sin and not sin, right and wrong in the Bible. But not all things are cut and dry and black and white in the Bible, you know. So let's take a moment and go through some things in the Bible that are very clear, you know, cut and dry, not debatable. Um, This is not by any means an exhaustive list, (laughs) but just, In general, like I'll give you some examples. The Bible is clear that we have a sin nature, right? Romans 3.23. We're not inherently good. It's clear that Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again. Just see the whole New Testament. (laughs) It's there. You know, it's clear that Jesus is God. It's clear that we cannot be saved by our own works, but that it is only through the work that Jesus did on the cross to cover our sins. That's, you know, we find that in Romans 5.18 and the rest of Romans. I mean, it's, it's there. These issues I just listed are essential, um, and there are more. Um, they could be worth debating in a church, worth possibly leaving a church over and dividing over. These are that essential. So there are essential things. Um, there are also things that are very clear and not debatable about sin. For example, like fornication, which means you know, having sex outside of marriage. The Bible's really clear about that. That's just one example of certain sins that are just very clear, cut and dry in the Bible repeatedly. <laughs> so there are more, but the point is that the Bible is not vague about a lot of issues. Um, it's not debatable whether or not these things are right or wrong because the Bible is really clear about them. But what Paul is addressing in chapter 14 is not essential doctrine. It would be other things we as believers would differ on opinion, you know, in our own opinion on. Things that may not be so cut and dry in the Bible, maybe gray, I don't know. But not things worth dividing over, though, I want to point out. But they are debatable things. So let's let's take a look at Paul's two examples in verses 2 and 5a. Verse 2 says, one person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. And then verse 5, the beginning part says, one person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. So in Paul's time, the cheaper meat sold in the market was oftentimes the meat that was used for idol sacrifice. Um, These believers may have struggled with the idea of eating this meat, believing or fearing that it could taint them in some way or that it would be like worshiping the idol themselves. Um, So it could have been more complicated than just being a vegetarian, is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) There's probably more going on there with their conscience, you know, like where is the meat coming from? Another thought about this passage was that Um, The believers struggling here were Jewish believers, possibly, and were struggling with meat because it wasn't kosher, you know, and they have these laws from the Old Testament, such as Leviticus Leviticus 8, uh, I'm sorry, 11, that go into particulars about what kinds of meat the Lord sold, you know, or or the Lord wants us, wants the Jews to eat or not eat, right? Um, Similarly, in verse 5, was probably referring to those who still had, you know, held to the Sabbath laws in the Old Testament, 
And these people were probably struggling with feeling like they still needed to hold to certain things, this idea of still being under the law. Um, but as believers, we're told that we're no longer under the law, but grace, like from Romans 16, or 6.14. Like we, we studied so much of this in the beginning of Romans. He really worked it out. Um, you know, ver, uh, Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. These examples reveal what Paul means when he describes the believer in Roman, the, uh, Romans 14.1 as weak in faith. They have the conviction because they do not have a full understanding yet, maybe, about grace or freedom in Christ. They're still maturing as believers in Christ. The word here, weak, means doubtful about the things lawful or unlawful to Christians. They're still growing in their faith and understanding. The word faith here means belief or conviction. So these believers have not nailed down their own convictions, but are still struggling through and like figuring them out. And I feel like we all can relate to this because we've all been, you know, if you've been a believer for any length of time, we've had the same types of struggles, right? <laughs> um, John Piper mentioned here, he said, they lack the knowledge that would in undergird and liberate their faith. Interestingly, we find here that these examples that he listed were not like negative examples. Um, they're not examples of someone taking a liberty or a freedom, but one that is striving to be more morally upright, following stricter rules. Um, David Guzik said, um, in Paul's mind, the weaker brother is the stricter one. It wasn't that they were weaker in the Christian faith because of what they ate or didn't eat, but they were weaker because of their legalistic attitude and lack of love towards others. Later in his commentary, he mentioned that many times when legalism is involved, people believe they are the stronger ones because they keep the rules. But I found it ironic, <laughs> we see in these verses today, that Paul would, would see that person, the one that's keeping the stricter rules, as the weaker one in his or her faith. I don't know if you guys caught that. I was like, I think that's why it was so hard for me to get. <laughs> I was like, it's kind of backwards than I thought it would be. So this person described here in our verse as weak in the faith, maybe a new believer, someone less mature in their faith, someone struggling with legalism, like following the rules, the laws still, someone that has, you know, lacked in good teaching maybe, even someone that needs encouragement or exhortation. Um, so I just thought about that and I thought, you know, what might that look like today for us? I mean, because we're coming off these examples that aren't really like where we're, you know, it's not our life. Our life is not like that. Um, it's a little bit harder for us to translate into today. I thought a lot through examples of what this might be like today, things that believers might debate about or even divide over that's, that are not essential issues. And I'm sure that as I list off these things, <laughs> That, my, um, that you might relate to one or more of them, but I'm sure I will ruffle feathers, <laughs> okay? I, I was like, I don't know if I should ruffle feathers. <laughs> like, I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> because maybe you hold strongly to some of these things and maybe from your own convictions, and that is not bad, right? That's not bad. I'm not listing it off for that reason. Um, but yet it's good to remember they're not main things. I'm not even trying to say that they're even right or wrong, but I but just want us to see the things so that we know what the issues are 
when we think about when Paul says to accept one another, these are the kinds of things that he's talking about us to accept. So here's the list to ruffle your feathers or not, I don't know. <laughs> things like cussing or smoking. Should I cuss? Should I not cuss? Should I smoke? Should I not smoke? <laughs> Should I dance or should I not dance? Should I have a Christmas tree at Christmas because it used to be like in pagan history? What about rated R movies? You know, Bethel music. <laughs> like, any of you have like looked into people associated with Bethel? You're like grave sucking. What is that? <laughs> and so, do we throw the baby out with the bathwater? Do we? Some people think so. Some people not so much. You know, head coverings, wearing only dresses, makeup, no makeup, alcohol, no alcohol, Halloween. Y'all know what I mean. Like I don't even go there. Magic cards? No magic cards? Harry Potter? I may or may not be wearing Harry Potter socks right now, okay? But no judgy, no judgy. Like, I'm like, I will not say what I agree with and don't agree with. I can't help it. Okay. King James Version only? Or not? Should we are we open to that or not? And just to be controversial, because I'm not smart or something, I don't know, like, you know, should we wear masks or not masks? I don't know, right? I mean, the last example just points out that there are so many issues that people can make moral or not moral, you know? It just, everybody lands different. And uh, anyone could build scripture to build cases for why they do or don't do those things, right? I mean... That's why division happens in the church, because we interpret things different from the Bible, you know, a lot of times. Um, many of us have convictions about a lot of things listed above, and maybe as to why we think um, we have liberty to do them or why we shouldn't, and I do, and I know you guys do. I mean, <laughs> and we probably differ in lots of ways or don't differ, I don't know. Um, now, to clarify, Paul is not saying that we should have no convictions. <laughs> we will soon see that he is telling us to land on these issues. You know, he wants us to wrestle with them. But his main message to us today is what to do if you disagree with another believer on one or more of these issues. What do you do? So what does he say to do? He's, accept? So he says accept them. Um, and this is my favorite part, right? When I looked up accept, <laughs> I got excited. The word accept here means to welcome, to receive. It means to grant one access to your heart. It means to take into friendship. It's like love. <laughs> it's grace. It's like embodying grace, you know, which is what Romans is all about. We don't do this for the purpose of being able to carry on a debate, <laughs> not to pass judgment on what they believe is right or wrong, but do you all sense the theme Paul is laying out for us in these chapters? We are to love one another despite our differences. Some of us may believe or have convictions that uh, we have freedom in Christ to choose things. I'm gonna have to do something, hang on a sec. I hope that's on my phone. <laughs> Sorry, I got hooked on something. Okay, but do you all sense the theme Paul's laying out for us in these chapters? Whoa. <laughs> he wants us to love one another despite our differences. 
Some of us may believe or have convictions that we have freedom in Christ to choose things that are not considered sin, while others are not there and they have convictions just to not do it. What Paul is trying to get across here is that if we find we have differences, it should not stalemate us in our relationships. Okay, you guys know what I mean by stalemate? Like, if you're playing chess (laughs) and you stalemate, nobody wins, right? It's just, because if it does, we both lose in the relationship if we do that, right? Once in uh, Bible college, I went to Multnomah. Um, I took a class called Text and Canon. And we had a section there where we had a study about different Bible translations. And I had to write a paper about whether or not the King James Version was superior to all the version, other versions, you know. <laughs> and I had to, like, build my case. Or it was, like, kind of, you know, because it's a debatable issue. So I read all these articles about people that believe that it was. And I had come to the conclusion that I disagreed, you know, that the King James Version was not the only inspired, you know, <laughs> superior version, but that there are other good English translations, right? That week I had dinner, like that week I had dinner (laughs) with my friend. I was just getting to know her and her husband. I wasn't married yet. And I went to their house for dinner and we started talking about some of my classes. And I began telling them about this paper I just wrote and studied all this stuff about the King James Version. And I just thought it was crazy that anyone would believe <laughs> that it was the only good version, right? Because I was like 20. Like I <laughs> and her husband looked at me and he said, I'm one of those crazy people. <laughs> and I about died. I was like so embarrassed. I was like, oh no, I didn't just do that. <laughs> oh, but you know, it was really cool because he's an older guy. He's older. Not that much older, but he was older. (laughs) Um, He had so much grace with me. We talked for like an hour about it. And in the end, I felt so convicted on how judgmental I was towards him. (laughs) And I'm just so thankful because I think about that and I can testify. We have been friends for 20 years. Our kids have grown up together. And we still don't agree. (laughs) But we did not let it separate us because it wasn't worth dividing over. It just wasn't worth it. We knew what we thought, but we knew it was better to not pass judgment on one another. And I I love them for that, that they don't judge me. (laughs) And I don't judge them, you know? Love is more important. And fortunately, many times we let things like this separate us, you know, because we want others to see everything the way we want to see it, you know. We want others to conform to our ideas and our opinions. Not always, but sometimes, if we're really honest, that's what's going on inside. John Corson said in his comments on this, he said, we can make people miserable with us instead of saying, let the Lord guide you, work in you. We say, if If I can't do a certain thing, then neither can you, (laughs) you know? I have been guilty of that before in my heart. This doesn't sometimes be true of us, you know? If we're really honest, sometimes this is why it's hard for us not to judge. It comes down to our own hearts towards people. Do we want others to conform to our image? If that is our heart, that is not okay, you know? (laughs) It's not. We need to be careful. We're not to look down on our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's take a look at another other instruction Paul gives us about this um, in the passage in verses 3 through 4. 
It says, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is to not judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. I think it's interesting here how Paul points out that wherever we end up landing, you know, whatever end we land on, <laughs> we have the ability to judge just the same, you know. I could, yeah, I mean, I can find fault with somebody and they can find fault with me just as much back <laughs> on the same issue. <laughs> um, that is what judge means. It means to find fault. It's not our place to find fault when with what our fellow believers believe or don't do or do or don't do because we're not their master. It's not our business, <laughs> you know. In verse 3, Paul encourages us to not regard with contempt the believer we disagree with. This means to not despise or reject, to not set aside. I sometimes find myself doing this after I talk with someone I end up disagreeing with. I set them aside in my mind. I kind of reject them in my heart. If I'm really honest, sometimes I've done that. And it happens so easily in our flesh, yet God calls us to accept him or her, to receive them, to grant one access to our heart, to take into friendship, like that accept word means. I repeat this definition of accept again because Paul uses it, this term accept in verse 3, and we, he wants us to hear it again. How he uses this term in verse 3, it says, he says that... Um, God accepts them, right? God does those things with his servant. Therefore, we have no right to judge or find fault with them. I love this example he gives. Who are we to judge the servant of another? To his own master, he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. God will help get his servant to where they need to be when it comes to sin, and whether or not they will fall just like he will help us, right? We're all in a process. It's not just them or, <laughs> or us. It's, we all have this weakness, right? Let's read verse 5. It says, One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. I love this. God wants us to figure this stuff out. You know, he doesn't say it's all relative. <laughs> he wants us to figure it out. I looked up the word conviction in the dictionary because this was the idea Paul gives when he says fully convinced. It's this idea of conviction. Conviction means a strong persuasion or belief, the state of being convinced. God doesn't want us to be wishy-washy. Everything is not relative. You know, God wants us to wrestle with things and come to conclusions with his help. I mean, there has been so many times I've sat with Janet, you know, because she's like my mentor, and I'll, I'm like, I don't know what to think about this one issue, and it like consumes me sometimes if I don't have it figured out, and it feels like a big, like, I don't know how to live my life till I figure this part out kind of thing, and she's so gracious, like, comes alongside me, like, tries to help me, but she, she wants me to get there too, because God wants us to, he wants us to get there, he wants us to land um, he wants us to wrestle and come up with our own conclusions with his help. Whether it's drinking alcohol or dancing, we can look to his word and wrestle with it. 
And yes, it can be uncomfortable and hard till we are persuaded or convinced, but it's worth it. And honestly, sometimes he convicts some people of not doing something and other people of, of doing it, like it's okay, they have the freedom in it, and they're opposites, but he convinces through the same word. And I do think a lot of it has to do with a background, someone's background, you know? Lots of things are to place, and I think that's why he doesn't want us to just quickly judge each other, you know? Um, yeah, so it depends. Um, I think the reason he wants us to wrestle with it because it causes us to depend on him more. If you're not sure about a certain issue, you know, you can take it to him and lean harder into his word. Um, the year before I went to college, I had took a year off from school, and um, anytime I wasn't at church or work, I got together with a group of believing friends, and we would swing dance, because like, it was like 20 years ago. But um, some of us were taking lessons, some were just like teaching, we were just learning on our own. And we had partners, and we'd go to ballrooms on the weekends and dance to our, with our retro dresses for fun <laughs> and our fun outfits. And I loved it. It was so fun. And, and then that fall, I came to college. I went to Multnomah. And I found out that we were not allowed to dance while you were enrolled in school. <laughs> and I wrestled with it, like, what? What do you mean it's wrong? Because like, <laughs> I, you know, I didn't grow up in the church. You know, I... I don't know, like, and it's so funny because my dad did, and, and he, he was in a church that was like, no makeup, all dresses, no dance, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't hang out with those, you know, that too. like he was, you know, and so I don't know what he thought of me, <laughs> I was like, I was, you know, anyway, so I wrestled with it, like, is this a sin, is it wrong, and throughout the year I came to my own convictions, you know. And I believed, I still believe that it wasn't wrong. Um, but I followed the rules, right? And on, on the last day of school, a group of us went out and swing, we went swing dancing in downtown Portland. It was so fun. <laughs> but it wasn't with a rebellious heart, like, we're going to do this, you know? It was a heart of enjoying the freedom that I had. I could have snuck out during the year. I had friends that did that, you know, in the middle of the school year to go drink, because I wasn't allowed either, or go dance, you know, at Bible college. <laughs> I knew people that did that. Um, and I, I guess I could have done that too, but it was a freedom I chose to give up for a season to honor the authority the Lord placed me under, you know, in my life at that season of time, because my freedoms and liberties do not trump those around me, you know. I want to take a moment and just work through that thought a little bit more, because later in Romans 14, we see Paul address it more. I'm going to skip ahead just real briefly to verses 19 through 23 of chapter 14. It says, so then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might make cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. If you're not following your convictions, if you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. That's from the New Living Translation, so that's why it's a little simpler. And I... 
Honestly, I used to not like the New Living Translation. I had, but I have changed over the years. I feel like sometimes when a passage is complicated, I just need it to be a little more simpler. And anyway, um, so I'm not going to go too deep into these verses, but I just thought they were so good. Um, we're going to be coming back to them in a few weeks anyway. But I feel like it's helpful at this point to mention them because they work out this idea of convictions a little bit more. These verses tell us to be mindful of other believers and their convictions. If we feel the freedom to drink alcohol as long as we, don't, we aren't getting drunk, that's fine. But be sensitive to your brother or sister in Christ. They, if, you know, they may have convictions about drinking alcohol and they may think it's wrong. Maybe they've had addiction in their past and it might encourage them to stumble into sin if they're with you and you offer them a drink, you know? I mean, like, we have to be sensitive and mindful of others. It's great to land and know what you believe and enjoy your freedoms, but we ought not to indulge in them if it trips someone else around us up, you know? Let's take a look at verse 6. It says, He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. So wherever we land in our opinions and beliefs, we ought to do it with thanksgiving to God. Grateful that he helped us get there, you know. Whenever I wrestle through something and I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to think about it, it's always such a joy to come to conclusions and feel confident in it. It's a joy, you know, to, to figure it out for yourself and have peace inside. Um, it's always such an answer to prayer to be not, you know, to not be drifting in doubt and uncertainty. God doesn't want us to stay there. And when it comes to our conclusions, we ought not disagree with other believers. If anything, it would be good for us to remember our process we, we had to go through when God formed our convictions. Because we're all in a process, right? <laughs> we need grace with one another through, you know, through their process. They, we need it through our process. Uh, one conviction I had for years, or I've had for years, is that I just don't have peace about watching rated R movies. Not because I necessarily believe it's a sin, or, um, but mainly because I grew up having no filter. There's no filter for that for me. So I can't unsee all the stuff I saw, right? <laughs> and I've struggled with that in my own life. So I just have like no desire, no peace about it. But I married my husband, and he has no problem with some rated R movies, not all of them, but some. But because he knows it's harder for me, he never asked me to watch one with him. You know, he respects my conviction. And I think most of the time, it's, it's just about, you know, when to know how to be quiet about it. <laughs> you know, right? I mean, like, if you're talking to someone and you know you disagree, there's a time, you know, there's wisdom in just not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, that's what I've learned over the years, because I like to talk. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't go very well. <laughs> I don't know. That's our calling in the church, to love one another no matter where they land, on the non-essential stuff, right? And we should always love anyone all the time, but, but as far as accepting, you know, we need to accept them, especially if it's non-essential stuff. I love what David Guzik said. He said, Paul isn't telling these Christians to erase their differences. He tells them to rise above them as Christian brothers and sisters. So we're just like beginning to study this. Paul has a lot more to say about it all. Um, 
I wanted to just add one thing. I just keep thinking about it. <laughs> you know, the, the, probably one of the best things I've learned from my husband since we've been married is to not have assumptions about people. I mean, he calls me out on it all the time. Yeah, that's an assumption. <laughs> when I make a claim about somebody, he's like, eh. <laughs> I, I think there's wisdom in that, too. I just encourage you all, if you come across someone that you disagree with that's a believer, don't make assumptions about why they believe that. They, we don't know their whole story unless we get to know them and welcome them and love them into a friendship, right? Then we can have a whole understanding of them. And it's easy to make assumptions. Like, I fall into that all the time. I wanted to end with one last verse that I loved. Um, I found it in 2 Corinthians 1.24. I liked it so much because it's Paul's example of how to do this with the Corinthian church and why he encourages us to accept others without disputing over opinions. And it's again from the New Living, because it's just simpler, but it's 2 Corinthians 1.24, it says, but that does not mean we want to dominate you by telling you how to put your faith into practice. We want to work together with you so you will be full of joy, for it is by your own faith that you stand firm. Our job as believers is not to dominate over others and tell them how to live and walk their life out in just so form, <laughs> you know, but instead to work with those who may be less mature in their journey of faith so that they can be full of joy because they've been able to come to their own convictions because this is how we stand firm in our faith. We need each other, not so that we can judge each other, but so that we can be like those Titus two women, right? with each other. Um, we can gain so much and learn so much from being with one another. Um, you know, if we find ourselves, we're, all, we're always on some kind of process where we're less mature than somebody else, you know. We can always learn and grow with being one, with one another. So anyway, that's all I have. Let's pray. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for this word. And I just pray, God, as everyone goes to their groups and or thinks about it when they're done listening, Lord, I just, just pray, God, that you would um, just settle things in our own hearts. Lord, if there's things that women are working through and wrestling with currently, God, that you would just help them, Lord, and help us to have grace with them um, and love with one another, Lord. I pray that people would, would just, we would just all show each other love and grace. God, I thank you for how amazing the end of Romans has been with just the practical stuff. I just pray, God, that you would just deepen us, Lord, and grow us more in our love for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.